Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Medici Podcast. Today, we've got a guest from Amsterdam. His name is Max, representing Echo Trading Group. Uh, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure. We've had you on the show before, uh, a year and a half, I believe, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where we talked a little bit about your journey and your trading style. Um, I think there's quite a bit that's changed in the last two years. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot in terms of uh, whether that be education space or uh, funds. It's uh, hopefully not that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, definitely. I've got a whole list of topics that I want to cover with you and uh, really interested to hear you out and your story and how everything's changed and where you are right now. Sick, sick. So I think um, for those that haven't listened to the podcast priorly, Maybe you can give a little rundown on your backstory. Where did your journey start and how you kind of came to where you are right now in a nutshell? Yeah, sure. I mean, to summarize shortly, we, uh, you and I as well, we, uh, we ran back Forex way back to the dates of roughly 2018, yep. if that's correct. Correct, yeah. Um, and we both traded a similar strategy kind of based on algorithmic reactions and pretty much a strategy we saw develop over the whole retail trading space hmm. um in a sense that lots of new education providers were there copying that strategy and pretty much just fine-tuning that strategy where we as well um pretty much tried to create a community in essence uh where we took that strategy under the name of archimedes capital and uh, other names that we had um, all in all, in that educational space, uh, we came to a point that we started a track record. And now it has come, long story quite short, I have now transferred with that track record to the location, to the trading floor in Amsterdam. That's where I'm sitting right now at uh, Burstplein 5 in the heart of the centrum of Amsterdam, where pretty much I take this strategy with another strategy, which is now kind of the new hype in the Forex space. It's called SMC, Smart Money Concepts. And we uh, we take those two together and just try to create as much return on investment as possible. Okay, lovely. And that's all under the umbrella of uh, Echo Trading? Yeah, so at Echo Trading Group, that is pretty much the refined version of all the other education uh attempts that we had in the past but okay. uh here our goal is in essence to really create the educational platform we've got a course coming up we've got a discord community already with roughly 570 people in it on our yeah. free discord and pretty much just be as transparent as possible because we have a track record track record is live it's it's, it's for everyone to see and uh just in essence be that one group that's isn't all about the flashy results, but just more focused on really shortening your learning experience and your learning curve in essence. Okay, now interesting. And um, based on a reflection, what do you see do well in Echo Trading Group compared to like the failures you've had in your past or like learning curves? How are you gonna tackle it to actually push it even further into succeeding and getting more members? I think I, th I think you know um, and you and I we talked a bit about that in private as well in essence what when we first attempted this whole concept we were still in different phases in our life where 
we ourselves had to properly, I think, master the craft mm -hmm. in essence, or we needed some sort of validity to feel like we were, um, I wouldn't say worthy enough to educate, but um, come to a point where we wanted to really feel as if we were um, wise enough to educate. I think that's that's the better word, whether that be having a, a substantial private account or being able to pass a prop fund money accounts. Um, and now I think, you know, that we've got these things under our belt. In essence, you know, I've, I've passed my FTMOs, a uh, substantial private trading account. And in that time, we've, we've also traded a numerous amount of just high home private PAM accounts. Uh, you kind of get to a stage where you think, like, okay, hey, I cannot guarantee uh, a beginner like complete results. I'm not here to spoon feed them, but I can now with, with confidence say that I can really shorten someone else's learning curve that they avoid the biggest pitfalls. So I think that's the biggest difference is that I'm now in a different stage where I feel accredited enough for myself to be able to teach others. And the consistency comes automatically with that because when you're still struggling yourself, you're not consistent with providing that material to other people. Yeah. Whereas now you're consistent yourself. You've got nothing to fine tune yourself yeah. and your own strategy. And you can really focus everything purely on giving that content and the education and that pretty much supportive backend to other people because you're not fine tuning yourself. Yeah. I really, uh, I really like your transparency already. Like the whole approach, it's uh, you know you don't hold anything back, and you explain. No. You know, I really like that. I really like the approach you guys are taking. Of um, course, because you you look at the space, right, and you look at um, not to drop any names, but you see lots of students of ex educator areas where we've been students of, whether that be in the Netherlands or anywhere outside of the Netherlands, you notice yeah. that lots of these people just quickly bang out a website and start scalping and then start providing these setups for people because they're going purely for that business model, right? Exactly. They're, they're purely going for uh, the business model of getting a subscription base and pumping as many members. You know, it's a good business model. Don't get me wrong. And that's yeah. obviously great to have as an extra passive income but you can really see the difference when someone's purpose is rushed compared to you know we're not even live with a community yet but we're focusing on polishing everything that we can whether it be our website our discord or building a native app where everything is just in one place so you have the best value the best user experience as quickly as possible yeah that as well but you guys also have like a huge experience in the field already and your intention is to teach not only to monetize yeah. but actually to bring in a value so that other people can just carry on a legacy in some regard exactly exactly that very well put um but we also know that you, ha know that you have a fund management kind of approach and uh, quite a background in that and that's what i really want to talk about with you as well cool yeah yeah sure so you know we run a fund together like a really small private one yeah. And, um, you know, for people out there that are wondering, how does that all start out? How do you get to that? You know, where where can they get to that point? Let's say they know how to trade. So the first yeah. question that kind of comes up to people's mind is where do you start out as a fund? Yeah, no, that's a that's a question I, I get quite a bit um, in terms of there are many different 
types of funds you can have. Mm -hmm. uh, and lots of people like to throw the word fund out that, hey, I have a fund, but they're trading just private capital. Yeah. I mean, that that's what we did as well when we had our fund. That was in... In, in proper terms, I was called a copy fund because we just put it on a copy trader yeah. and kind of went around all the loopholes and all the gray areas surrounding legalities and actual funding. Um, but the whole concept that, you know, you want to start a fund, the first thing I'd really recommend doing is really dive yourself, throw yourself in the legalities. You know, it depends on what country you're in um and what the rules are for allowing you to trade someone else's money for us when we were in the netherlands and when we ran that copy fund we got slapped hard in the face with the realization that we can't simply just take someone else's money and put percents on it right you can't you can't simply do that because you've got the afm uh, the authority of financial markets and the FCA and, and MIFID and all those legality legal entities that come looking the moment you start doing that. So what we did is we found that loophole, that gray area, which is called a copy fund um, to pretty much get to a point where we were able to trade other people's money, but you're building it fully on trust. So my number one tip on how do you start out as a fund is, is know the legalities of the country that you are trading and that is pretty much step one. Okay. Know what you're about to get yourself into. Okay, right. And that then has to do with documentation. Uh, how, how do you then proceed on the documentation on that? Do you just find templates or do you find a lawyer or a what, what happens after that? I think, I think you know, the, the next step, what you do once you realize what you need. Um, let's just take us, for example, and pretty much the fund structure that we had is what you got to do is find what you need that's step one for us what we had is uh we had two options we had one options to go as a light fund um so in translation terms that is an alternative investment fund light pretty much um and what you then needed to have was a complete risk disclosure talking about all the standardization in a fund and pretty much uh, showcasing the best case scenario um, and your stress scenario. I think those are two words that you got to get quite familiar with when you're talking about a fund is at the end of the day, um, what you really need to showcase in whatever documentation you have, whether that be your risk disclaimer, a memorandum, or even a prospectus, if you're going for the full A-tier legal fund, um, you need to be able to portray all the different scenarios that you are pretty much speculating that can happen with your fund. So that can be, let's take an example. You've got the worst stress scenario um, for, for a fund that works in Amsterdam and works very well. Amsterdam they their stress scenario is that after five years, you lose 12% on your return on investment, right? And that is a very good um, benchmark because that's very little 12 years over five years to lose you know that's barely anything and their best case scenario is something along the same lines you know with compounding effect they're trying to aim at 16 to 17 percent in five years so that is pretty much the next thing what you have to get in order is um, whatever documentation you need in terms of whatever structure you're going to do the best thing that you need to look at is the best way to portray 
the different scenarios that you think you are going to tackle with other people's money. So best case scenario and a stress scenario, worst case scenario. All right. And then what is then the advantages for clients to choose a copy trading fund or a light fund uh, or even prop funds then based on this? Right. So w when you're looking at the different funds, um, copy trading, that is probably the most relaxed and in favor of the investor yeah. because, you know, it's pretty much all based on trust. And at the end of the day, the investor can just pull their uh, account out at any given time. Correct. Yeah. Um, so with copy trading, it's, it depends how you do, you know, you've got different platforms now that can kind of protect you as the trader as well uh, in terms of a lockup period that they really cannot touch their account. But at the end of the day, you know, they can always stop copying. Mm -hmm. They have the final say to continue copying or not. So the, the legal aspect is always in their favor, but you know, it's, it's a double edged sword, right? You know, you have to trust each other because that's pretty much what we had as well. Right. With, with some of our clients from our copy fund is you can, you can kind of point the finger at one and another one yeah. can point at you saying like, Hey, these guys are copy funding, but um, they don't have the right paper and they don't have the legal papers to trade my money. But then you as a trader can point the finger back at them saying, yo, you agreed to all of our terms and you signed our uh, trade agreement and this and that. So you're well aware of everything that's going on and it's your own fault. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a gray area. It's a question mark when it comes to copy trading. And that's why you don't see that really done in the big numbers. You're never going to find a copy fund that trades above 10M. Mark my words, it just doesn't exist because the moment you're trading at least seven figures plus on a copy trader with someone else's money, it's 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 not it's not happening. So that's why they usually go for life fund structure uh, that has the right documentation and that is and transparent because it has a mediator, usually a fund manager or an administration. Um, and it just has everything intact in terms of documentation. There's no there's no little leakage that can happen in an actual structured fund. Right. And that's what I'm assuming echo trading is also going to be aiming towards. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, we are doing a, we're doing a copy trading as well. Um, in the sense that it's not in terms of fund, it's not a PAM account, um, but just through a white labeled social trader tools. And that allows people to just copy the signal. And that is not a fund structure. Mm -hmm. This is just purely based on a, a retail aspect. Mm -hmm. But the fund that is coming um, in the latter, that is obviously going to be a live fund structure. Mm -hmm. And that is just probably as legal as it can get, as, as, as well organized completely with the AFM. Yeah. And you've got your mediator, you've got your administrator and your investors. You know, they don't, they don't have communication with you. They have communication with the administrator administrator has communication with the fund and it's a very well organized um pretty much a very well organized machine yeah okay that's interesting to know um let's move to uh then okay so we know the fund structures and we know how yeah. that all operates now yeah. i think a really important aspect in all of this is also the clients that you have on board right <laughs> i think that's the biggest part 
uh, that's, of the that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I know from from our experience, we had quite an intricate amount of interesting clients over the years, with a lot yeah. of different backstories and different kind of outcomes from our trading. Yeah. So let's start with something simple. You know, how do we attract the correct clients? How do we find the right audience for our fund? Yeah. So um, let's let's just go and jump the gun right off the bat saying that with a copy trading fund um you don't want to handle with friends and family yeah explanation yeah. mark full dot don't do that yeah um when it comes to because because it's a double whammy that you've got going there because you've got and a very great area with your fund and you've got the relationship with your friend or family Correct. that is on the line right yeah. it's you you've got you've got a negative rr here in trading terms you're you're exposing pretty much so much for so much for, for very little to gain correct so um if you're looking at the correct clients with a copy fund uh what we wanted to do as well right um we were always thinking about that is the correct clients for a copy fund would be small fish and lots of small fish on a professional basis. And what I mean with that would be something along the lines where they could be a friend of a friend or via via connection. You know, there has to be some sort of stepping stone, but they don't have to be a direct relationship to you. Or they can be a complete cold connection where you just want them to invest the the 10, 25K. Yeah. With a copy trading fund, I think the, the biggest mistake what we had as well is going for in our back in the day quite a quite a high sum of money you don't want to have a big fish in a copy fund because it's just too much for them to risk you have to find someone or you know whether it comes to a point that it's not too much for them to risk you have to find people that have that amount of money lying around that they're just afraid to lose it um so that kind of goes back to that point of you want the smaller fish because they can more potentially afford to lose what they have people investing 10 20k here and there you know you have a hundred of those traders a hundred of those investors and you're good to go but let's say you've got one guy that just sold his company um startup and he's investing 200k which is 40 percent of his his assets in you there's so much pressure it's so much pressure on you and it brings so much pressure on the investor as well because he's like yo i'm gonna go balls to the wall with this and i'm gonna send it with these guys it's just not gonna work it's just not gonna work right i i want to jump straight into a question about how you said um you know you would have these small fish and then you accumulate them to get the capital now if you were projected with a question this in this manner would you rather take five clients on board that will give you a summation of around 12 million aum or would you rather take 25 clients that will give you a summation of 18 to 20 AUM, million AUM? So you're, you're, um, you have less clients, but you mm-hmm. also have 8 million, let's say, uh, dollars less. But, yeah. Or would you take 25 clients and take that 8 million extra? In terms of communication and ease and in terms of like being accountable for things, what would you yeah. say as a fund manager is better? I, I think, you know... Um... Let, let's be dead honest. And when it comes to absolute re- results in, in the market, money is everywhere. That extra 8 million when you're running 12M already isn't going to make the difference, right? 
um, in terms of hassle, you've got a lot more clients. You said 25. Yeah. You've got a lot more people to deal with, a lot more accountability, and a lot more transactions. Correct. Whatever structure you have, whether you've got the ballsiest copy fund, you've actually got a nice fund with, with proper papers, that is pretty much double the amount of clients that are talking with your administrator, that are talking with your fund manager the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's double the workload. It's double the people. And 8M is great. Don't get me wrong. That extra 8M is great. But if you just perform with less stress on the less amount of clients, then the money is going to come automatically, right? You know, you perform I, yeah. with, with less stress. You know, there's less pressure on you and you're going to perform better. I like that. I like that you say that. I think what's also important from what I learned is you have five of those clients, but let's say we already understand they bring more AOM to the table, meaning that they will yeah. essentially have also high network friends, which exactly. will bring you, I think, way more money than, you know, those 25 uh, people you have in contrary with the 8 million more. Exactly. I mean, you know, that's what we learned as well. And that went very quick with the fund that we had is the moment we were performing well, Correct. so many doors open up for us. Correct. And we saw, you know, we were ecstatic about the results and we were, we were so yeah, we in were awe really of pretty much exactly. the network that, that there was available to us. Exactly. So, and then that's one thing that I would want to say on my behalf is if you're trying to run this, make sure to have really good connection with your clients and, you know, create more than just a working environment. Yeah. Make, I think you would agree, make it more of like a friendship where a hundred percent, you know, through full transparency and where you know maybe you go for dinners or something like that not not just all through paperwork and emails exactly because that's what you notice you know with a couple of people that we know that are running funds here and there is that they've got you know events for their clients exactly. and that's probably the, the coolest thing that you can do is organize an event for the people that are investing in you Exactly. And uh, it's 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 such a I wouldn't even say it's such a flex, but I mean, like, it's such a beautiful way of returning the favor because everyone's winning from the situation. Right. Uh, let's just assume the best and that the fund is going well. Yeah. The investors are getting a return on their investment and they are seeing the actual blossoming of what they're investing in in, exactly. in return of these events and you know whether that be a new office or because obviously the the traders they're making money from it as well and they're financing whatever their luxurious lifestyle and they're paying their traders cool but they're also seeing the investors are seeing that this fund is growing yeah they're seeing that you know these events are becoming more lavish or that uh, there's more they, they get a goodie bag of a statue of their fund i mean that's sick i think that i is, totally agree yeah right unheard of because people that's... people like being uh, the center of attention in some regard and let's say if we take two examples where you have a huge fund running billions of aom and then the only thing you get is a bank statement every month where yeah. you just have a, a roi on it but then let's yeah. say you invest into a smaller fund where you have Sunday, let's say brunch, or you, you go up to like some hosted event where, you know, everybody exactly. comes in a nice car and everybody's dressed well and there's music and there's a vibe to it. That is way more accepted, not accepted, but actually valued than your monthly ROI statements, even if it's a smaller fund, I believe. 
exactly that. I mean, there's so much more to it than creating that uh, just return on investment because they're so beautiful to see if you can actually create this whole relationship out of it like with your investors. Kind of becomes exactly. like a community. Yeah. Maybe. That's what that's what we had with, you know, the copy fund that we had. And yes, it was friends and family, but it was so fun to see, exactly. you know, them talking to each other yeah. about our performance. Yeah, as well, because we also had like chats for investors. And exactly. I think that's also something that we took differently compared to other funds. You know, we allowed yeah. them. We had an interaction with them in a, in a de- Telegram chat, if I don't, uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Telegram. You yeah. know, that, that was a completely different uh, approach we took, but, you know, it worked and they were happy about it. Yeah, full transparency indeed. Now, in your eyes, what makes a good client and what makes a bad client? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> um, a good client, in my eyes, is one, I think that's the key rule, is someone that understands the risk they're taking at the end of the day. Someone that can... Um, an investor that can pretty much lose their assets right. that they invest in you. Yeah. You know, worst case, they have to be fully prepared that this can be a layman brothers 2.0, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, yeah. that's, this can just go down the drain and they they can, they should be okay the next day if everything goes to zero. Okay. Like it shouldn't hurt them. Like it, it shouldn't deteriorate their life. Yeah. But they need to change their lifestyle because they lost all the assets they invested in us. I think that's the most blatant, obvious way that you can put it. That's a good client. A good client is someone that's able to take that risk and able to afford their investment. That they bear, what makes, uh, bear the cost, yeah. Exactly. And that, you know, what makes a bad client <laughs> is someone that goes way too We've got plenty of experience hard. with that, I think. <laughs> we had, oh my. Not we had great experiences. Oh yeah. no, 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 no! We're not gonna, not gonna throw them under the bus. But no. um, bad clients are just the opposite of that. I mean, it's people that are um, too lackluster for results, and are um, yeah, I, I, they're not afraid, right? But yeah. they are too too involved. Okay. Um, a bad client is a client that is too involved because. It's, it's the whole concept of fear versus greed, right? That we learned as just a normal trader. Correct. What are the two main psychological aspects in trading? It's fear versus greed. Fear is when you over leverage your trade, when you put too much on the line. Yeah. So when they just start this experience, they are afraid. Yeah. Greed is when they see the numbers and they're too involved and they're telling you to close the position. They're like, oh, wow, you guys are doing well. Close that position. Bank it. That's a bad and it, client. And it's funny enough, we had that live experience yeah, where we got we messages. Did. Yeah, before we, we had the RTPs hit, we had clients messaging us to close out so they can take their uh, little vacation profit or whatever it was. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. And you know, on the other hand as well, you know, we we go we go in the red for a little bit, and you get screenshots sent to you immediately um, yeah immediately like yo guys what's going on and you're exactly. just sitting there like hey this you've got this constant breathing on the back of your neck and that's just uh, over involvement what makes a bad client over involvement okay now yeah. let's go back to your trading experience and uh, let's set a scenario let's yeah. say we have john and john's been working in let's say the medical sector for 35 years and let's yes, say john. he's 50 years old 
okay that might be unrealistic but let's say he's 50 years old <laughs> he's he's let's say saved eight hundred thousand us right okay and yeah. um he's willing to invest because he understands that for him to go on a pension he's not going to be able to he's going to have to leverage this money a bit to make more and well we get it yeah yeah so what advice would you give to john as someone who's never touched the financial markets before to invest <coughs> somewhere and how much of that let's say let's make it easier one million yeah so how much what emotions and what should he feel and what should be his kind of approach to be like um satis not satisfied but like calm and trust the process for this attempt yeah yeah i think um the one thing that we want to look at is you know what is his goal how much does he want to have at the end of the run right and um so he, he saved up one million right yeah. that's just all to the side that's that's his entire savings yeah um you want to really put it in something that is that is as close as guaranteed return on investment and um especially because he has zero experience in the finance world i think it's best for him to you know just put it in either an indice um or get it done with some sort of prime broker where you can put it in a mixed basket of securities because okay. stepping and jumping the gun and going to a private investor with zero experience of investing that's 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 scary man that's scary for him yeah either go the safe way go in indices or just put it in real estate you know real estate is not the hardest thing to grasp because regardless of whatever experience you have whether you're not in fintech you obviously have to buy a house yeah and john is he's 50 yeah he's probably bought a couple of houses here and there or probably moved at least yeah he understands that the housing market is something that can only go up right you know we quote unquote housing market end goal just like an index is that it becomes worth more you put your um you put your money in bricks and you know it just transverses in a return on investment over an x amount of years mm -hmm. same goes with s p because its main goal is to gain in value and same concept is with stocks right you're not gonna the point of a company isn't to go to zero a company's goal is to become worth more so those type of investments which pan out with a not insane return on investment but more of a guaranteed safer return on investment okay yeah no well explained i was wondering if i could set a second scenario of someone younger uh let's say we have for example michael uh michael is 22 and he saved yeah. up ten thousand dollars yeah uh, of course this is not financial advice and these are all scenarios but you have quite a extensive experience in this field so you yeah. know i'm pretty sure there's people out here listening with this kind of capital what is yeah. something you would look into for them like this is not again there's not financial advice but <laughs> a kind of yeah what, what would you look at if you're sitting yeah, at yeah, 10, right you know full margin no. um, <laughs> yeah money money is temporary anyways no jokes um <laughs> until you're when, on the streets yeah <laughs> uh look the one thing you're gonna take into time as well is that uh, you're young you're mm -hmm. 22 right mm -hmm. you, that's something to take into account so you have more breathing room to take risks you can leverage Good your one. time yeah. 
Good one. Uh, rather than John can't. You know, John, he's going to retire anytime soon from his fixed income, which is guaranteed in his life. Correct, yeah. That is going to go away in, in 10, 15 years. Yeah. You know, whether he's retiring at 60, 65, he has to now make sure that, you know, let's, let's fingers crossed, John is a healthy lad, yeah. that he goes up until the age of 80, 90. He has to figure out that, that safety net for those years where he can't get that guaranteed income. Correct. Whereas this, this Michael, that's 22, for 22, 10K, this big ups, it's, you know, you're, you're up there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, your average 22-year-old is, is rounding off their bachelor. Wish I could say the same, lol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> damn. Oh, God. Um, uh, your average 22-year-old is, um, you know, in, in an education branch. And having 10K on the side is a lot of money. You know, you can play with that. And you and I, we both pretty much kind of started with less than that and are now yeah. sitting on more than that. Yeah. And can say that, you know, you take that risk and you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to misfire. You're, you're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think the, the biggest thing to do is don't put all your eggs in one basket when you've got that type of money at that age. I yeah. think that is... Um, like what we did right we went into crypto we went into effects and uh, you know you're diversifying already correct it's both yes the financial space sure but you know at least one was considered more of a back in that day as an investment which over the time where the first bull run flipped and then you could capitalize your money from there and go back into more of the shorter time period investments but um regardless with that type of money at that age, so so young, right? Uh, learn a high income skill. Good one. I think that is is something that you really need to look at and um, do it yourself and put the money in practicing it and trial and erroring it rather than buying that guru mentor's course. It's very contradicting, you know. But instead of Find, find the right people, sure, but don't spend that money directly on, like, let's say, let, let, let's take social media marketing as an example. You know, the first thing that pops to my head is when I had the money, I was like, okay, how am I going to take this money into more money? And the first thing that I wanted to do back in the day before Forex or crypto was SM social media. Yeah, social media marketing. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I look back at that and I'm like, okay, well, the first thing that I wanted that I should have done was just experiment, you know, take, take of that 10 K yeah. take, let's say a grand and just run it up, you know, try it out, see how you can take person a and C together and mess around with Facebook ads. I mean, the knowledge is there, do your research, figure out what works. I mean, there are enough people that are giving the knowledge out for free. So um, what I do to summarize that long story, just uh, build build a high income skill, build something that you can leverage later on in right. your life in the next eight years up until you're 30, you know, take that extra money, take that extra cash and find a way that you can leverage it. Okay, I really like don't that. put everything don't put everything in one basket. I think that's uh, that's lesson one, because the moment that goes a well, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people see now, you know. Uh, being uh, headfirst in the crypto market myself, I see right now after this huge crash, a lot of people were liquidated for the simple fact that either they're way too overexposed, but also because they're not experienced, they don't really understand how markets work, so they get burnt. And uh, after this, unfortunately, a lot of them quit the market 
or they they stop investing because they were kind of they put all their eggs in one basket and it didn't work out for them and then they take the safe route after that that that's the thing that's exactly to line up on what you just said there is don't quit um on what you're trying to do i mean that's uh that, that's the biggest one actually you know um and the reason you know what you said makes perfect sense the reason they quit is because they had they were fully in that one opportunity and the moment it goes away you know you lose all your money so obviously you can't do anything but quit but that's why i think they go hand in hand make sure that you're diversified which results in you being able to always pursue one of those skills that you're trying to build correct yeah and uh, in terms of diversification for anyone out there uh, i can talk on behalf of crypto if you're invested let's say into ethereum dogecoin and ripple for example that's not diversification because if the market's going down all of those assets are going down i think that diversification yeah. is where i'd be invested in for example ethereum i'll be trying to long uh, pound the pound if we know that there's uh, bullish news or some uh, hi uh hikes and then let's say we're also investing into gold something along those lines right if yeah. there's an e economic uh, turmoil you know that there's three kind of assets to look at instead yeah. of in one market that's i think a big mistake people also make where they think they're diversifying investing into you know 70 different coins and uh then they're but like okay it, i'm diversified yeah it doesn't really it's work still that way. it's exactly i mean that's it's you're diversified in your niche but you're still in the same niche yeah exactly yeah totally yeah that's it um now so we've covered the clients now let's get to the trading part of the fund uh, we know that risk management is different. We know we're not trying to margin flip your clients 12 million. <laughs> well, I sure hope you're not, but um, <laughs> I remember the days when uh, we attempted those kind of things. But yeah, yeah, let's um, not talk about that. <laughs> yeah. But what risk parameters are in play for your fund structure compared to private or funded accounts such as FTMOs? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, FTMO does a good job at showcasing that it's more about the risk rather than the rewards. Mm -hmm. Because why do majority of the traders fail their challenges is because they just don't know how to manage risk. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, 5%. Yo, I'd never do that 1% per trade. And then, you know, they're in seven trades and wabang, they're out. Simple. Uh, FTMO is a hard reality for retail traders to learn how to manage risk. And that's why FTMO is such a beautiful business model because they are capitalizing off of that lack of knowledge that those retail traders have. But, you know, you can do a whole podcast on the business model of prop funds. Let's not get too involved in that. But either way, when it comes to hedge funds, you don't have a mediator that is going to tell you, oh, you've got too much risk on the line. So you need to prep in advance on how to manage that risk the best way um and you and i were very familiar with that what is the one risk scenario you take into account is your black swan event yeah. i think the best way to manage risk overall is to prepare yourself for the worst and as you know grim as and and pessimistic that may sound it is the harsh truth when it comes to uh funds and fund managing because like what i said at the beginning it's when we talked about documentation, it's all about the scenarios. And to be honest, it's not about the best scenario. It's about the stress scenario. How well can you speculate? What is the worst thing that can happen with your fund? Yeah. And the moment you can convey that 
on paper, step by step, month by month, let's say year by year, and the investor can say and like kind of nod to your memorandum risk disclaimer prospectus or just your identification documents and be like, okay, well, worst case scenario with that million that I popped into this fund after five years, I'll lose 12%. And if he can feel good about that, yeah, that is how you manage risk. That is literally just without talking about fixed percentages or SLs and all that stuff, you are, it's your job in a fund to best convey what the worst case scenario is. Um, and then let's do, let's talk numbers, right? You know, let's talk about what we do and what we have done in the past yeah. is um, you have to see, especially let's say we're trading Forex and we're doing FX and we're doing a fund in Forex. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at doing a fund with a broker and most of the times you're trading with either an STP broker or an ECN broker. So that's good. It's, it's, it's in your advantage, right? Um, but you have to take many things into account because you are working with such, let's say 10 M is, is quite a bit, right? Yeah. And um, no matter what account you, you do that with your processing is, is not as quick as what you're used to. Yeah. Nowhere near your little, 10 20k account that you trade privately is like, suddenly you know you correct. you are you're in a whole different ball game completely yeah your 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 processing speeds are a lot slower and that's you know why there's a whole world called high frequency trading yeah is where they take advantage of this but yeah. you can't you know you're not a high frequency trade on a firm you are the firm you are trying to get your capital injected on the market and with the vast amount of volume that you have look it's not as if i'm saying that 10 million is a market maker obviously not but you notice and you will see that a 200 account is going to get filled a lot quicker correct on one percent risk let's yeah. say than a 10 million account yeah, absolutely it's just it's just facts of course yeah um so what do you have to take into account when you're looking at managing funds and um pretty much that big capital is you have to deviate from, let's say you work in pending orders, like what we do. Yeah. Um, you have to learn to deviate and take more into account for you to get in the market. That's one step, right? Yeah. Um, the next thing that you have to understand is, okay, you got your entry deviation. Now, yeah. same goes with your exit. Same exactly. goes with your stop correct. loss. Yeah, correct. Because you're not going to get filled at your stop price. You're going to get filled maybe two, three micro pips under that, or maybe even half a pip or or a whole pip. Because yeah. you need to get your whole position clear. You know, your broker has to. If you're buying, your broker has to sell right back at you, and that transaction just takes that fraction longer. Yeah. Um, and so essentially, yeah. sometimes it even misses. That's the worst when you miss a pending on a on, on a you you're triggered in on your low accounts and you get finessed on your, on your high accounts. Account, yeah. Exactly. Um, but that's why, you know, understand that there's a lot more going on, a lot more rules to take into account. Yeah. Um, and in terms of risk parameters is you're adjusting the risk based off of all of those things. And you're just playing with a big sum of big sum of money. So the parameters that we use and how we saw our trading account then is you see it as a portfolio. Yeah. You are literally seeing it as a portfolio that performs in touch with, let's say, the S&P, right? You look at the deviations that the S&P has, yeah. which 
is what we like to call we like to call what 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 they call a sharp ratio yeah. Um, and you can see that that sharp ratio, what that pretty much means is based on the volatility of the instrument that you're trading. So the S&P, uh, in our case, it's going to be your watch list, your mm-hmm. pairs that you trade. So we traded mainly uh, pound sterling pairs Correct. Um, based on the volatility they move and based on the gain that you're doing is the ratio positive or like how positive is your ratio? That's called your sharp ratio. Yeah. And what you pretty much have to adjust for is that, let's say, you know, like I've got my charts right here and GBP USD moved 0. 0.18, 0.18% this day. Yeah. Um, and then you calculate that on your notations with your account and how much risk you're putting in. And you have to make sure that you're outperforming the volatility of that instrument. And the way that you do that, I mean, it, it can go, this is, this is all quant pretty much. This is where you go the whole quant route and you're doing calculations based on your sharp ratios, but it's a very interesting world. What you're pretty much avoiding long story short is that risk of ruin. Um, you see that on my FX book, you see that on FX blue, um, which pretty much just entails how many trades is it going to take worst case scenario, black swan for you to liquidate all your assets. And if that is, you know, a little infinity symbol, then your parameters are good. Then you know that you've got something well done because you are, you cannot, there's no risk of ruin. You cannot ruin your account. Okay, that's really interesting that you say this because I want to go back to Michael and John for a second about this because I found some statistics actually, which are probably going to baffle a lot of people because this is some insider statistics which I am fortunately allowed to disclose, but without naming any names of prop funds and anything else. So let's say you're Michael, you're 22 and you got 10,000. Before I get into the statistics, would you recommend Michael to learn how to trade and try to jump on FTMOs, which are going to be a thousand US dollars per FTMO? Let's say he's going for a hundred thousand investment, or would he rather put his 10,000 into a fund, which, you know, has a set, you know, risk, but also a yeah. set reward. I put it in the fund as guaranteed. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. And I, and I totally agree. You know, look, th- these are some statistics, right? So uh, given X year, I can't disclose the year uh, in October yeah. on a funding uh, platform, there were 3,544 uh, people who signed up for an account. So 18% of that passed phase one, 638 people passed phase one out of the 3,500. That's already baffling. (laughs) Then of those 18%, 31% passed phase two. So 198 people were left. Yeah. So out of the three and a half thousand, 198 people passed phase two. Now here comes the shocking part. Guess how many of them reached the profit split? The first profit split, oh. how many, how much percent of the phase two, 31% out of that 198 I, people, how many do you think got their profit split? It has to be less than 10%. There's no way that more than 19 people actually made it that far. 4% of that 198. Wow. That's eight people. That's for October, right? Now let's take statistics wow. for November, right? They take 5,700 people, 10% past phase one. So that's 570 people. 
Then okay. 24% of the 570 passed phase two. That's 137 people. That's 137 people passed phase two out of the 5.7 thousand. Now guess how that much, is mad. Now guess how much percent <laughs> or guess how many people out of the 137 got their first profit split? Two. Four. Oh. So 3%, the last 3% of the ones who passed phase two got their first profit split. So that just shows you yeah, this scheme that these funding platforms are making is so smart. The amount yeah. of money they are making, trapping people into believing they can actually ever get away with profit splits. These are first profit splits. I'm not even going to talk about six month profit split. I can't disclose yeah. the data, but... The first yeah. month's profit split, it's 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 you know four four out of the five point seven thousand. That's. I mean, I mean, like yeah, without without dropping anything, um, it's so funny that you talk about that because six month profit splits. You look at the leaderboard of these prop funds, right? Yeah. And you take a little screenshot every month. How often is it the same name? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm doing zero figures yeah. with my hands at the yeah. moment. Zero. You know, you never see two people on the, you never see the same guy on the leaderboard twice. And, and this goes back to all those gurus back on Insta or anything like me knowing these statistics, being an, you know, insider to understand, to, to get this kind of data, man, yeah. it's, it's when anybody comes to me and tells me they're getting, they've run an FTMO for a whole year and they've made 10 K every month. I laugh at them because they don't know the things I know. And no, this is just like the that's, tip of an iceberg, you know? That's the thing. Like, look, you know, from from a perspective of, of getting FTMOs, like I know for myself is I'm not going to consistently have that FTMO. No, of course not. No. no. I know that, you know, those rules are going to bend me over yeah. here and there. And then I can always redo the FTMO. Sure. But you're so caught up with the scaling opportunities. And, exactly. And, after six months, we double your account and you get a free car. Like, bro, yeah, you are. So, it's 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 always too good to be true, and that's how people like what you said. Six months, like you can't disclose that info. But you and I, we, we everyone, after hearing the first statistics, yeah. take a guess. Yeah, take exactly. a wild guess. Exactly right. It's this is baffling. So this is why you know I find it important you explain to people how you differ from, you know, them trying to co uh, cover an FTMO, how you actually yeah. know what you're doing in actually yeah. managing the risk and actually not allowing them to lose much capital and doing well. Exactly. I mean, it's it's all uh, what it comes down to as well, also with an FTMO. And that's like the very good question that you asked with John, you know, should he attempt FTMOs or should he invest in something that's fixed? I mean, the first thing that I said was mm. go with something that's fixed because these these FTMOs one if you have zero skills and going directly for an FTMO uh, you yeah. lost all your money Correct. gone yeah um, but just in general is when it comes to whether it be an education service a chart service copy trading manage expectations and that's the problem that the FTMO you, you know the expectations FTMO puts out there for its clients is all you need to do is give me 1k and yeah. you're gonna have 100k in no time all you have to do is pass five percent and ten percent like yeah the expectations are so low and they, they it's hilarious to see yeah how these prop funds do it because it's yeah it's just a shame man i mean it's an opportunity but at the same time it's a great business
without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, I can't say too much, you know, uh, very little information about it that I have just yet. But um, white labeling a prop fund is is done so easily. Yeah. Um, and what we've got with Echo on our vision here and there as well is to really get uh, a prop fund that is one a booked um so kind of goes with the business model and then you're probably asking yourself yeah why would you do that that's not that's not profitable for you Mm -hmm. but obviously you know that's that's where other information comes in where you can leverage the traders that are doing very well and then it's a very win-win situation sure you know it's going to be costly if the rules are very easy to pass but um i think obviously i don't know but uh taking it from a reverse look on it and you're not betting on the people failing the accounts, but you as a prop fund are really actually betting on the people to pass their accounts. Cause look, FTMO, let's say, you know, the market leader for this example, they project themselves in such a sense that, you know, they, they're like the people's champion, right? They're changing people's lives Correct. and they want to trade with you, but you, you just explain the business model yourself. They totally don't want you to win. Yeah. It, they don't yeah. want you to be profitable. Oh, they say like, oh, but if you're profitable, we'll just trade with you. Sure. But they don't want that. They don't genuinely want you to win. Um, whereas what we're trying to do very far down the line is trying to find a way that you, that it's, that it is valuable to get more people to win. Correct. That is the goal and how we're going to do that. No idea yet, but, um, we're trying to disrupt that space as well in the latter. Lovely. That's lovely to hear. Um, I really like the conversation we just had. I think yeah. it's uh, we're topping at one hour right now. So I think it's time to I think I, I got a great understanding of how the fund structure works from yeah, you know the management, it. the clients and how they train, how you guys do that. So, I mean, in essence, I think you apply a lot of that to Echo. So yep. it, it shows that 100%. Max is not, you know, messing about and he knows what he's talking about. So it's, it's good to hear this kind of transparent on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but now I think we can move into a juicier topic about FX cool. itself and the economy. Okay. Yeah, no, interesting. Very interesting. Get more with the actuality. Love right. it. Exactly. So, I mean, you're you're in the space you know that not everything is looking uh, great for the future right now things are going a little bit awol to say the least <laughs> say the least yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah right so let's kick this off so um we saw the kind of um covid uh years when uh, we had the artificial kind of run-up of stocks because we had all the stimulus and money printed and adam yep. to us debt printed in the last two years is absolutely absurd um, we also know that stock markets work in uh, cycles, just like any markets. They work in cycles. Mm-hmm. We have a seven to eight year bull run to a three year recession. Yeah. Um, and kind of the first question coming off, do you think we're going to be rounding off our eight year bull run in the stock market or, or do you see some kind of deviation in the cycles from now on and an artificial continuation further up until the bubble genuinely bursts? No, I mean, let's be dead honest. Let's look at, I mean, that's kind of the information that I have as an insider working around pretty much the veterans that have experienced every market crash since 1980. Yeah. Um, is there are certain things that you see that happen around 
you yeah. that you just know that something is about to collapse yeah. um and it's very nice that you actually bring up the topic about um artificially ma maintaining something or artificially continuation yeah um you look at the 10 year the 10 year yield bonds right and you yeah. look at just uh in combination with the vix and you can see just exactly that pattern that happens over and over again when, when everything rises and you just see it bottoms out and you have your crisis you have your recession correct and what was very beautiful to see is that you know we we, we came to those crucial numbers once again uh at the beginning of of corona right uh, beginning of covid yeah roughly 2018 yeah and then you saw that artificial continuation um right it was it was money printing after money printing and you know all their quantitative manners just went right down the drain and yeah. now we are just the biggest losers of their actions that they took you know we, we the pretty much what you can talk about is is they really came way too late yeah. with their raising of interest rates yeah way too late and now you were just gonna see that we're gonna see pretty much the whole pushback that we had from pretty much every central bank right now where we're gonna end up in a recession and yeah. it's inevitable it's and I, I i agree i want to give in some numbers from the us that do indicate mm -hmm. recession uh, this info was also from the bloomberg terminal that uh, cool. i managed to catch i mean it's not that interesting or it, this is widely available info but we managed to get this from the bloom a couple of weeks back so there were some charts but i'm not going to put them on screen because yeah. uh, you know we don't have that but for example to start off we've had the flattening of the yield curve like you said when the yield yeah. curve starts flattening that's a danger right yeah. uh, when short-term yield uh, is greater than long-term uh, rates not yield but rates when the short-term rates are larger than the long-term rates we start seeing a negative yield curve and exactly. that's also going to start indicating a recession first and foremost um, secondly we're looking at the Fed's balance sheet where we had the quantitative easing era so we call it where yeah. we went from 15% uh, of debt of balance sheet as debt percentage to, yeah. to GDP to 37 so right now 37% of the balance sheet is in debt compared to the GDP of the country that's, yeah, that's crazy right that, that, that's, that's, that's stupid right and you know they need to reduce their balance sheet what will happen to the markets when the balance sheet is reduced i mean I, we do see some form of contraction some recession right it's it's, it's interesting <laughs> yeah i, I mean that, that that's the scary thing is that's what we're seeing now exactly with everything you just said is we're at such a textbook case of inflation actually as that well it's 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 just yeah, you know when when it when is it gonna stop, right? You know what are we what are we looking at? Because yeah. every time, till this end of the year, right? Um, we're still kind of digesting the higher repricing of the Fed rate expectations, yeah. and the global risk assets are like just struggling, just hard. Yeah, they hard. You know, there's 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 no there's no rebound on anything that we're seeing. No, it's not. It's just an insane. Uh influx going upwards like if we're, we're looking to talk about inflation we look at cpi it's been higher yeah. since 1970s that's why uh, that's why i mean this is highest since god knows how long right? um, um yeah that, that that's the thing that bothers me is that um it's very stupid to say 
but it's just the truth is you know lots of people were seeing this lots of people were expecting this but no one no one was daring to take action on it that's the thing yeah um when you're looking at just dps and the amount of hikes that they had probably oh, yeah. for the next three fed ratings we're going to that three and a half percent yeah um regardless and 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 that's just not what you want because at the beginning of the year we looked at it so differently and we didn't hike the rate and now suddenly we're doing everything so rushed and you know you just realize it's too late you know you missed the bus and now we're literally on that textbook you know what we learned in economics that aggregate supply and demand curves it's it's just you've got that shift now you've yeah. got a reduction of supply you've got an increase of demand and you know you've got that little triangle and that little dead weight loss that's your recession yeah yeah exactly and uh, that's also uh, we saw the huge rebound of for example oil since 2020 market crash in march yeah. the prices are also skyrocketing it's huge and natural gas went uh, quadruple since q1 in 2020 like all commodities that, man all of that does lead to somewhat a, a negative outcome in the coming year or so to say yeah. the least without um, a doubt okay so that's the negative part how can we prepare for a recession i mean well we know we're, we're dipping into one right now we know <laughs> that the food price and everything is going out of hand but how can one get prepared you know just Put on your VR glasses. It's time to enter the metaverse, bro. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, uh, like that's the thing where you're realizing as well. Like, as as an individual, you're realizing that your groceries are getting more expensive, and uh, you've you've seen gas prices get more expensive. How can you, as an individual, prepare yourself for a recession? It's you have to understand and get your assets to a point that you can be i wouldn't say liquid but just you know have have something ready for yourself whether you know back in the day during these moments people were like yeah cash is king um i'm not too sure about that now but because you know you're looking at transactions and you see transaction costs are increasing yeah yada yada um, so there are people that are just shoving a bunch of cash under their mattresses and they're prepared to pay everything in cash. I don't know if that's the way to go. <laughs> Probably not. Right. Um, but get yourself to a point where you're at least liquid enough to understand that, um, you know, you need, you need other sources. You need to brace yourself. You need to have a little bit of a safety net, have a little bit of a cushion for yourself to, to continue during this dip. I think that's the most important. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> thank you uh i guess yeah i would agree that you can also learn high income skill like you mentioned before that you know i'm reading this book by ray dalio now and uh he says that during recessions yes there's a lot of things that are going wrong but yep. as a matter of fact there is still job there are still jobs like right now i know for example in the netherlands there is shortages of personnel in places yeah. and they're literally longing for people to come and work um, yeah. you know people are struggling to pay groceries but they're also struggling to find people to work in certain places which is you know it's a double kind of edged sword so maybe if you go get a skill you can still work in sectors which need people yeah i mean that that goes right to your point um didn't clarify that enough but it's definitely like you know find a way that you um overbrugging we like to call it in dutch bridge 
uh yeah just to, you know have you have to put yourself understand one it, it's understanding and accepting the situation right that yeah. that's about to happen i think that's the biggest thing um how do you prepare for a recession i think uh, live below your means good one um i think that's a overall that's a great life rule yeah. live below your means i mean you know don't try to go broke looking rich type of vibe good. um yeah. but in general in a recession you know you're not trying to do all the things that you would do when you're not in a recession when the market is going great and you've got a surging market and everything's making money and everything's uh, paying out high dividends and you know there's money off of saving and everything's cheap to, you're not you're not doing that same lifestyle in a recession in a recession you are more cutthroat with yourself in yeah. a sense of all right you need to live right you know you are you're being that pure mental game with you and the market and yourself find that job find that high income skill find get yourself job, involved a third job yeah exactly i think so yeah exactly um okay are you looking into getting to gold and silver for the coming economic recession that's that's really interesting that you say that because i was actually looking into that quite a bit um in a sense that it, like you look at gold prices and when you look at stones right it's gold and silver platinum you name it during a recession you know it's always a safe bet yeah always yeah it's 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 literally there's a limited availability in the world yeah and it's it's always worth more it's yeah. always it's 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 not it's like it's, there you go like you know you're not you're not you, there cannot suddenly be printed out more gold yeah and that's a beautiful thing is you know when you look back um way back i don't i, I don't know the dates on this but you looked at the dollar note yeah and it was pegged to the gold it was pegged to a one gold yeah, coin the, the do, the dollar because standard. yeah standard. exactly yeah, yeah. because it was the golden standard i mean that's the one thing you know the moment you've got inflation and you know you need more cash to buy your groceries you know that you got to back it up and you know go back to the roots of what it was and that was always gold and silver and definitely definitely looking to uh, expand it's not that as if i own lots of gold no definitely not but it would be cool to to either you know invest with that either in a cfd spot or actually have physical gold like i know guys now that are loading up their their buckets and their crates of gold bouillons and silver coins it's crazy sure it's sure. smart yeah it is it is i agree um so before i hop into an effects question one last question about the usd for the coming six months so you said you do see the rate hikes continuing uh yeah. you also talked about inflation creeping up yeah uh so can you maybe give a little rundown on the take of the current economy in terms of what what do you see inflation going do you see hyperinflation will there be a sudden stop somewhere do you think there's going to be more stimulus or do you see the bubble bursting what's a little i mean i mean i i think you know you're looking at um pretty much like you know they're trying to make up for its previous failures right the fed correct uh especially just the federal reserve as a whole you know it wants to raise its key interest rates to a neutral level yeah. in a sense which is pegged at you know what, what was it what did it say two and a half percent which means that we've got 
two more potential hikes of 75 yeah. bps or you know they're gonna cut it down to 50 like no they're gonna they're they're trying to get to that neutral inflation interest rate as soon as possible and um i think for the next six months uh you know you're looking at different sources you're looking at uh everyone is looking at that the next hike in july you know what we're seeing is going to be 75 bps again and when um, is that when is that projected to for 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 the hike in july for the interest rate in july okay so then they th they think another 75 you know at least ing thinks that uh you, everyone thinks at the end of this year we are at a neutral quote unquote neutral interest rate of between two and a half yeah uh you know you've got ubs is thinking two and a half in ing is thinking three and a half yeah but we are bound to see more hikes dot <laughs> uh, you you can't get away from that like more hikes it's interest rate is gonna go up that's for sure okay you know, this 75 BPS that we had uh, last week, Thursday, isn't the end. It's not as if, you know, the interest rate is going to be unchanged in July or August. Like we are going to see that I can say with, you know, every source out there, you know, you've got Goldman Sachs, you've got uh, Commerce Bank, you've got UBS, you've got ING, every weekly report, it's now already kind of being priced in just on the charts what you can see is that there's going to be another hike and that is going to lead to hopefully you know that neutral level of neutral interest rate which could slower the pace of of this whole shit show and what do you think how do you think that's going to affect a trading pairs with the dollar then with these hikes like gu for example uh, I mean, it, it depends, you know, how much is priced in. Uh, that's what you can see with, with USD pairs on its own, like just looking at chart-wise. Um, like, you look on the higher time frames, and you can see for some reason um, quite erratic. Like, obviously, you know, it makes sense that there's erratic moves, but overall, you just see that the dollar whether you're looking at USD CAD, let's say, you, you can see that there, there's strength, there's there's momentum uh, to the upside. But me, personally, I believe that that is just slightly artificial. Just slightly. Um, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> just just a bit, just a bit. Uh, no, no tone to that, but I mean, like, how much of these movements, these erratic movements, like, you're looking at USD-CHF, and the last time I saw USD-CHF move 100 pips in a day was, you know, before my grandma was born, but um, now it casually just moves 200, 300 pips. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But that's all because USD is just this catalyst. It's like this uh, steam engine that is trying to break before hitting, you know, that pedestrian on the train track. Wow. <laughs> that's a vile analogy to say the least. <laughs> vile analogy. No, but you're right. I do think there's going to be some sort of pricing in, but maybe the expected numbers might not uh, correlate to the results so we might see some kind of liquidity spikes here and there so definitely yeah. careful for those who will trade that yeah 100 i mean like let's let's look at you know just euro dollar right um i think we could we could see that you know people are like all oh, very 
scared for parity, but like I'm not the one to say that we could see parity at the end of this year because that entails that the dollar just has to get mad strong. But it wouldn't surprise me if we tap, you know, 103 or 102. Okay, and how far is that right now? Uh... Uh, I mean, that's a whole difference of, of we're now at 105, yeah. 10501, uh, pretty right. much. That's a three cent difference. That's okay. quite a bit. And do you see by any chance a one on one this year? <laughs> like I said, like if parity happens, that that's because has when was the last time that was seen? Last time we touched parity was uh, 2003, my man. Oof, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that says enough right there. <laughs> I mean, uh, we do see seasonal tendencies in Euro USD that for the last 40 years that um, it does go bullish, begin July. Yeah. So I'm not sure how that will be this year, but uh, we don't know. We'll see if those. No, if no we don't. Will, like, it's, uh, it's, it'll be an interesting if we reach parity. It, it will definitely be something for the books. It would be something for the books. I mean, uh, it's nice for all the dollars that you have because you can get euros for the same amount. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, I personally can't complain with that as well. Um, exactly. Give me a little rundown of the pairs you're looking at now and uh, for everyone out there. What are you looking um, at? What's your sure. eyes on? Sure, sure, sure. So we had a bank holiday today, right? Mm -hmm. um, we had a very slow day. But overall, what I'm positioning myself with, um, you know, which I find really fun to trade. Lots of people don't trade CHF pairs, but we had um, the Bank of Switzerland, you know, um, they also hiked, which was quite interesting to see, uh, which actually gave a huge boost to CHF pairs. You can see that across USD, CHF, Euro, CHF, USD, CHF, GBP, CHF, all those pairs simultaneously across the board just dipped um so obviously chf went up became a lot stronger yeah because base pair dipped um so what i'm looking at is actually seeing that continuation in strength um yeah. with the swiss franc yeah uh, that's kind of what i'm positioning myself with and purely based on ta that bump that we got on its way down kind of put us in this new playing range on a higher time frame across all chf pairs mainly gbp chf uh, we caught a very nice break retest. It's very simple. You know, you got the bump. CHF is a lot stronger now. You got the fundamental backbone to position yourself to continue short. And then you just need your technical analysis to line up with that. So um, these are my favorite type of things to look at is when you're positioned very well off of a, I wouldn't say it's blatantly obvious, but, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see uh, the Swiss bank, at least, to go along with everything, because we saw the Bank of Japan. They were like, you know, fuck it, we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not raising our interest rates. You know, Bank of J Japan. You know, there's memes just going wrong with that. The the woman on the dinner table with the cat, screaming woman, and the cat like just sitting at the other side. 